I can take demands, but if someone asks in the wrong way, and this is a very demand avoidant thing, if someone asks in a not necessarily a nice way, but sort of starts demanding and you know, and, and asking in a very I don't know, sharp or harsh or not such a sweet and polite way, I really struggle to take those demands. Hello and welcome to the Women in ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the ripe old age of 45 and it completely blew my mind, turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. And now I interview other women who, like me, discovered they have ADHD in adulthood and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how best to lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Before we get started, I'd like to share with you this excerpt from an Apple podcast review from a listener called Hopeful Child. It's entitled Grateful. Wow, thank you for your podcast. Diagnosed at 62, by God's grace, still here at 68 to report I am doing even better today after hearing you and Samantha Absher speak of the woes of managing our finances. I feel more validated, more empowered, and even more hopeful that there are actually other ladies like me on this planet. Oh my goodness, I love this, and I totally agree. That's episode 61 with financial advisor Samantha Absher. It is a fantastic interview. If you haven't already checked it out, I definitely recommend you do, especially if you've ever struggled with budgeting or impulsive spending, which, let's face it, is most of us. Thank you so much for that feedback, hopeful child. I'm really glad to hear that these podcast episodes are helping you feel less alone. They are certainly helping me to do so. And for any of you listeners who are looking to connect with other amazing like-minded women with ADHD, make sure to come join us in the Women in ADHD online community. Simply head over to womenandadhd.com and there's a link to that in the show notes. Now, full disclosure, in order to keep this community small and safe and friendly, we do charge a small one-time fee to join. But if you'd like to join and that fee is prohibiting you from doing so, please reach out to me via email and you'll find that in the show notes as well. Okay, here we are at episode 81 in which I interview Rebecca Perkins. Rebecca is a neurodiverse speaker, writer, and educator based outside of Melbourne, Australia. She's the CEO and founder of My Spirited Child, an advocacy hub that provides strategies and support and education to parents, carers, and educators of neurodivergent children, as well as to neurodivergent adults themselves. She also co-founded the National Peak Center, a resource center for neurodivergent families with individualized treatment plans, therapies, and services located in Cranbourne, Australia. The center is an absolute dream for anyone who finds the diagnosis and treatment process to be overwhelming and confusing, which again is basically all of us, right? Rebecca and I talk all about our own difficulties in school as undiagnosed children and how the education system in general fails neurodiverse kids which is ultimately what led her to start advocating for her own neurodiverse kids. We also discuss why so many of us are convinced we're failures, even though we're often achieving at Energizer Bunny levels. We also talk about demand avoidance in relation to autism and ADHD and why it is chronically misunderstood and misdiagnosed in so many neurodivergent children. And I gotta say, Rebecca gives one of my favorite answers yet for renaming ADHD. So stick with us to hear that later in this episode. Rebecca was an absolute delight, and she is doing some amazing work in Australia. She was recently a speaker at the Victorian ADHD Conference, which was a massive success. She'll be appearing next at the Queensland ADHD Conference coming up May 14th. And you can find out more about that at her website, which I've linked in the show notes. Okay, without further ado, here is my interview with Rebecca. Enjoy. 
I'm very curious to hear your story because I know you have two children, right? Who yeah. are who are um, older now, right? But yeah, uh, why don't we just get started? <laughs> um, I, I want to hear your story, kind of how you came to your ADHD diagnosis and what was happening in your life where you were like, I really need to check this out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really happy to talk about all of that and and my journey, which has been interesting. <laughs> and your fiance also has is also neurodiverse as well, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, so we're all ADHD, me, my kids, my fiance, my mom, like everybody. Um, just yeah, it's a bit chaotic. <laughs> well, there's no surprise there. <laughs> um uh yeah, okay. So so why don't you tell me I guess we'll start with your story and your sort of diagnosis story. Yeah, so um so my kids were diagnosed first, like so many. Um the kids got diagnosed and and I before the kids got diagnosed I was already already working in the sector um so I kind of knew for a long time that I possibly had ADHD then the more I got to know and the more research I did the more I knew I definitely had ADHD but I actually didn't get diagnosed till I was in my mid-30s and um and and I knew I was expecting it um so I wasn't shocked when I got the diagnosis but what I did find was just the amount that it put me at ease. All of a sudden, all those things that I had found so difficult or things that I always thought were just bad personality traits, you know, and I just thought, oh, it's just me. I'm ju- I just can't do this. Or I just, you know, um, I always felt like I was not mature enough or not capable enough or things like that and so when I got the diagnosis to know that it wasn't just me and there was a reason and an explanation behind it all just made just this enormous difference and 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 the amount it increased my self-esteem was was really mind-blowing yeah I know I I feel like I talk a lot about that with my guests how you know that when I was diagnosed I wanted to shout it from the rooftops because it was so revelatory it was so incredible to just feel like oh my goodness there's an explanation for all of these things that all of these ways in which in my life I felt like broken and defective (laughs) as a wife as a mother as a you know as a student and um, so I was so excited to have that answer and I remember being so like you know just really crushed when I first started telling people that I had been diagnosed with ADHD and the response was more often than not like I'm so sorry (laughs) you know as though I had told them I had been you know I had a terminal illness Uh, (laughs) and I was like no 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 like don't you understand how incredible this is like that you know my sense of self was changing so dramatically as a result of that diagnosis but it is like I think unless you're talking to other people (laughs) who who have uh you know one of the kind of spectrum of neurodivergent diagnoses like they don't People don't really understand what a good, you know, how great it is to to have this diagnosis presented to you most of the time because it really seems like it's a door opening for so many of us. Yeah, I am. One of the things that I still experience today and I really, really, it's just, it's probably the reason why I do a lot of what I do is I get sometimes people say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But the one which I find even worse is when people go, no, you don't. Oh, you yeah. Don't. That drives me crazy. When people, 
you know, they just look at me and go, no, you don't. Or no, I don't buy that. Or I don't believe that. Or, you know, and I think, how do you not believe it or not know? Or, you know, and it's just that lack of understanding out there in society. And there's so many, so many misconceptions and misunderstandings and, and, and people buy into all these, you know, all this stigma and all this, these sort of falsehoods about ADHD. And so they just take a look at you and go, and I actually have had so many people say, how can you have ADHD because you're successful? And people don't believe that if you have ADHD, you could possibly be successful. And I also had a mom who I was talking to who um, whose son was going through the diagnosis process. And she said, well, I, don't, I still don't think my son can have ADHD because he's smart. And um, I tried not to take that personally. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, that's the thing that really gets me is when I tell someone I have ADHD and they think, if I'm smart, I can't have ADHD. If I'm successful, I can't have ADHD. If um, anything, you know, insert anything positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, exactly. And, and it's, um, and, and, and even my psychiatrist actually, who I try not to see too often, because when he diagnosed me, he actually said, I'm so shocked you had, because I own two companies. And he said, I'm so shocked. How can you possibly run a business and be ADHD and I just thought you're a psychiatrist diagnosing people with ADHD you should not be saying that you know uh and yeah that level of misunderstanding runs so deep from you know the community to professionals to you know it's it's so through everything and it's it's really heartbreaking and especially here in Australia I think it's actually much worse than it is over there in the states from from what I've heard the sort of level of stigma You know, I think, I mean, I personally had such a positive experience, both with my therapist sort of, you know, gently suggesting over the years that I look into this um, and to then having a really great experience with my diagnosis and my doctor. And it blows my mind hearing the stories from other women um, about ways in which they have been minimized by their medical professionals. And, you know, I, I realize you know, not every doctor is terrible, but like, gosh, the, the stories I hear of, you know, exactly what you're saying, either doctors who have said, well, you, you know, um, you can't possibly have ADHD because you, you know, are successful or you, um, you know, did well in school or my personal favorites are you didn't have it as a child and people outgrow it. So you can't possibly, if you didn't, if you weren't diagnosed as a child, you can't possibly have it now, which blows my mind because I'm like, girls weren't diagnosed. That's the whole point. (laughs) Nobody saw it. Of course we weren't diagnosed as children. And then my other favorite is, uh, uh, women who have said their doctors have said, well, you've made it this far. Why do you need the diagnosis? You see, you know, as though it's like, just, you know, keep, keep, keep plugging away. Um, and everything's going to be fine, which also like just goes to show how little, not only how little is known about, how it manifests and and what it looks like in women, but also how important a diagnosis is to moving forward at any age, you know, like at age 80. I mean, it's never too late, I think, to kind of connect these dots and really start radically transforming your, like you said, your sense of self. I agree. I think, um, I think it's really sad the amount of, um, 
the amount of just the amount of misunderstanding out there and people sort of go okay ADHD you've got someone who's really hyperactive and can't pay attention to anything ever and this is the view that people have and they think if you don't fit that box therefore you can't possibly be ADHD or you um yeah something's not right and they don't see all the other um, characteristics and all the other things that come with it and and the struggle and for me, you know, I did terrible at school. I was I, I failed school really, really badly. Um, but then, as an adult, because school isn't always designed the best way it should be for ADHDers, and then as an adult, when I went, I went back to college and went on to university in in the UK, and um, and did really well, and found that that style of learning suited me a lot better. And and what sort of always shocked me is just having accommodations made such a difference mm-hmm. and you know having at university I had really great lecturers who really worked with me to help me and we didn't even, I didn't even have a diagnosis then I, had, oh, I was diagnosed dyslexic but not ADHD um, but they really still just wanted to help me whereas at school it was all about fitting into that exact box and doing it in the way they said I had to do it and you know and what's what I do find actually really sad is so my youngest son who's both my kids are ADHD but my youngest son who's um he's very much like me and we have very similar um things that we struggle with and I watch him going through school and he's only 10 at the moment and his school career is exactly copying mine and the mistakes that teachers made with me years 35 years ago they're still making with him now. And that breaks my heart that, you know, three decades later and they still can't, they're still doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like I feel like they haven't learned anything and they're still making the exact same mistakes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that was, it was very emotional for me when I was diagnosed to go back and and look through my old report cards uh, from basically about, you know, about that same age, about 10, 11, fifth grade um, in Canada of just like watching the comments from the teachers and just seeing, you know, my own decline (laughs) as a student through these years of these comments. And it was so, it would just, it broke my heart because yeah, I do, I do see a lot of those issues with my children now. And I'm really grateful that I'm able to kind of put these pieces together and help them and advocate for them because I, I understand now how important it is. Like you said, I mean, accommodations are everything. I mean, I was actually just recently having a conversation. Somebody was asking me about like, do you know, to, do you think there's a difference between the, the way that, you know, um, ADHD is experienced in boys and girls? And, you know, uh, is there, is there anything like really obviously along gender lines, because I think that's something we talk a lot about with girls being so commonly um, overlooked in childhood. And I was saying that like of all the women I have interviewed, um, I feel like the biggest difference is are, are women who were diagnosed with some other learning disability as children, uh, like dyslexia or dysgraphia, and they were able to get accommodations through school for those learning disabilities. And it sort of clicked in their mind at a young age that that they weren't the problem, you know, that they just needed a, a different system. They needed help. They needed special 
accommodations and those of us who didn't receive anything, you know, any sort of diagnosis at all, sort we internalized that idea that we were the problem, you know, and I think that that kind of shapes who you are as you grow up so much when you realize that like, no, you know, if, if we teach our children really, you know, from a young age, that if something isn't working, it's not because it's their fault. <laughs> they just need to ask for help or figure out like what, you know, what do I need in order for this to work as opposed to just being, you know, what, what tends to happen, which is like, well, just try harder. You're not getting it, um, you know, figure it out. And then, and then we end up growing up with this like intense anxiety and this sort of internalized idea that like, why, why am I not figuring it out when everybody else is, what is wrong with me? You know? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I actually grew up very, I had a lot of problems with anxiety and depression and things like that growing up as a teenager, because of what I now realized was actually, um, was because of uh, me having ADHD and not having my needs met. And it's just really sad that if you have a disability in this life, you know, schools and um, anywhere else, they try and help except if you have a hidden disability. And then there's so many um, people sort of go, no, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing you need help with. And then you've got this battle between the two sides of one side of the coin going, no, you don't need any help. And then the other side of the coin going, oh, poor you, you can't possibly be successful. And actually trying to make people, I guess, understand that you can need help and still be successful because everybody needs help sometimes and with something, everybody. And and just because somebody needs help with certain things some of the time doesn't mean they can't also have all these great things that they can do really well and, and be, you know, achieve really good things. And um, I had someone recently actually say to me, uh, the problem with the neurodiversity movement and the idea that you can, it's just a different brain and all that sort of stuff is that it means that people won't get the help that they need. And, I, and, and what frustrates me about mm-hmm. that is that actually they should, because if, our, if, if, if a neurotypical person gets a cold or, or something gets ill and they need to go to the doctors, we don't go, Oh, you're defective. We don't, you know, you're no good to society. You're, you're less of a person because you had to go and get help for something. And it's no different. I can need help with A, B, and C and still be awesome at D, E, and F. Mm-hmm. And I'm not less of a person. I'm just a different person who needs help with different things and can succeed at different things. And, um, and trying to get people to understand that just because a brain's different doesn't mean it doesn't deserve help but it also doesn't mean that it can't be successful either. You know, it's, and that's something that I find quite frustrating in people is that they're all, they seem to, you know, think of it It's either one way or the other, you're either defective or you don't need help, you know, not. Yeah. And I think that there is a, you know, the sense that need, the need for help is somehow a moral failing, you know, that, that it really is, um, you know, it, that we are, it's like you have to wait until you are absolutely at your wits end until you ask for help. Otherwise, um, you know, it's, you are, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like, it's, um, ah, I can't think of the word anyway. 
<laughs> um, you know, but that idea that it's uh, we are somehow, you know, better humans if we don't require help, you know, that that idea independence and self-sufficiency are are a moral virtue. And this idea yeah. of like having, you know, having the audacity to ask for help. Um, especially if you are already good at other things, feels like almost selfish and self-indulgent, I think, in our society. At least we're taught that. And so I think there's a lot to like unpack when it comes to, um, you know, bringing, bringing in help, especially for women. Oh, 100%. And, 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 it's, and it all starts at such a young age. You know, these kids start school at four or five years old or whatever crazy age it is. And, and from that point, they're taught that you must fit into this box. And if you don't fit into this box, there's something wrong with you. You know, you, you have to be here. And the school system um, frustrates me so much with the fact that um, it just, it's, it's still the same problems. You know, they still, the school system still expects everybody to be, every student, come on in, be the same. You know, mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to make you do these things and you need to do them at the pace we tell you, in the way we tell you, and you need to sit still and you need to do all these things. And, and what I think is really sad, I speak to a lot of people from all over the world and I always hear the same stories. And it doesn't seem to matter what country they live in, they're still having the same problems, which is that the edu- education system hasn't changed in the last <laughs> 100 years. <laughs> and it's still making the same mistakes and saying to kids, right, you've all got to come in and you've got to fit in this box. And, and, and ADHD is in particular. I have met some absolutely phenomenal kids and adults with ADHD who could be something so spectacular if they just had a few simple accommodations had been made at school, you know, to help them along the way. And it, it just breaks my heart. And then... You know, and for girls with ADHD, like like me and you, obviously, we don't even get the diagnosis. Never mind the accommodations be made half the time. So, you know, it's just it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, I remember my son recently. He's in fifth grade, and he came home, and there was like a, you know, we were looking over one of his. Uh, uh, it was an in class test, and there was one answer where his, you know, his answer was just had nothing to do with the question. Like you could tell he was totally just like bullshitting, and. <laughs> And I said to him, I was like, well, did you even understand what the question was? Because she had asked about, like, read the part in italics. And he didn't know what the word italics meant. And and so I was like, did, did you not understand the question? He was like, no, I had no idea what the question was asking. And I said, well, why didn't you raise your hand and ask the teacher? And he was like, well, I didn't want the teacher to think I was dumb. And I'm like, that's what she's there for. I was like, how do we, like, even begin to kind of unwrap that? I'm like, you're in a, of course you you're 10 years old you shouldn't be feeling pressure that you can't ask questions because you're worried that your teacher is going to think that you're not smart enough like that's the whole point of a teacher (laughs) is to get you there but I was just like oh it just made me so sad yeah that was exactly what happened to me through the whole of school actually so through the whole of school they'd give me instructions and because I was so distractible um, I would never hear the instructions. And so when they said, go away and get on with the piece of work, I never knew what I was doing. So I just, but I never, ever would ever put my hand up and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Because like many ADHDers, I had that massive fear of judgment and failure and all the rest of it. So mm-hmm. I just, I, there was no way I'd ever put my hand up and say, I don't know what to do. And even to the point, if the teacher came around and said, Rebecca, do you know what to do? I'd go, yeah, I really <laughs> didn't. 
another clue. And so I walked out of school and I was in the bottom groups for everything, you know, so they really thought I was quite dumb. And, um, and then I left school and years and, you know, years later I went, right, I'm going to go back to college. And, and what's interesting. So, you know, I now have a law degree, I have seven diplomas and I've got two companies and I obviously wasn't, I didn't grow a brain when I left school. Like I obviously had one the whole time, but the teachers never, they never occurred to them to sort of maybe get to know me and find out if actually I do have a brain, there was something perhaps that they could do to help me. You know, they just assumed I was dumb. And my son, they do the exact same thing with my son now. Like he, um, he's really smart. He rewired every electrical item in our house. He's 10, you know, really, really intelligent boy. But he's in the bottom groups just like I was. And when every time I go in for a parent-teacher interview, they always say the same thing that he's, you know, he, he, he tries his best, but he's not very good at it, you know. And, and no matter how many times I say to them, he's really smart, it's the way you're teaching him, they, <laughs> they, they won't hear it. <laughs> they won't listen to that. Um, but, yeah, it's really sad that kids go through school thinking, you know, like I did, thinking they're dumb, when actually they have every, you know, ability in the world. It's just that the school isn't necessarily teaching them in the way that works for them. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference health with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash womenADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash womenADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Uh, now let's let's talk about some of your businesses because you have my spirited child, which was originally called my special child, and I assume you this that business grew out of your own kind of mother bear advocacy <laughs> instinct. Yeah, so that one I set that up seven years ago. Um, originally, it was just a blog, like um, <clears throat> excuse me, just this online blog that I created just to I just wanted to get information to people that was accurate and. 
and you know and easy to access sort of thing so I created this blog and then I started doing events and then it kind of just grew and grew and grew and now we do um, loads of events here in Australia and we're actually coming to America next year as well so we're doing some events over there next year um, and um, I do lots of public speaking and we have like little guidebooks that we do for teachers and for parents and and so we're kind of with my spirited child it's all just about getting information to people in whatever way it suits them to have the information whether it be in a resource or an event or 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 whatever and and just helping um, parents and and educators as well just to get accurate information that comes from um, I guess someone who not only has the professional side but also the lived experience side um, which as you know you know you really need you can't you can understand something but you can't fully understand something unless you live it so I I like to sort of put in a lot of my own stories and things like that um yeah so that one was always sort of built as in that side and then I also have um the National Peak Centre which is um a, a therapy centre and and that's been going for a year and I set that up with my I have a business partner um Christina Keeble and we set it up together because it was our dream to change the way therapy was delivered from something that was so deficit-based to something that was strengths-based and positive. And so we don't want parents to be like, oh, we've got to go and see a therapist again because there's something wrong with him and they're going to tell me all these problems. We do not, you know, it's we shouldn't be living in a society that acts like that. And so we wanted people to walk in and be, be and walk out feeling better than they did when they walked in, feeling like positive and and strong and empowered and know that their kids can do well and and will be there sure to help them with the things they struggle with but more importantly than that we're there to build them up and tell them you know make them feel good about themselves and 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 all our therapists their primary goal is to build connection and keep teach all these kids and adults um that they're awesome and and they can do anything they want and they'll help them to get there you know um and so we're going to build that up and hopefully eventually just change the way um, the system is so that therapy centres that are very deficit-based and all about, you know, there's something wrong with your kid and stuff like that, we can hopefully move away from that and start them on a sort of more positive approach. I love that. Now, does Peak, Peak is P-E-K-A, P-E-K-E, I had a lot of trouble with that one. Is that an acronym for something? <laughs> No, so we spent a very long time trying to figure the name and eventually we thought every time we used a word, um, like with my special child, I had to move it to spirited because special became not a word that was acceptable anymore, uh, which is fine. So, and spirited summed it up better anyway. But we didn't want to use a word that where the name was going to change. So we didn't want to say ADHD or autism or anything like that because names change and words change and we went you know what, we'll call it, so my surname's Perkins and my business partner's surname's Keeble. So we just took the two first two letters of each word and put it together. And we realized that that also, you know, when you think about the peak and somebody reaching the, the top and doing well, and, and it, it kind of all fit. So we, yeah, that's where the peak came from. <laughs> Got it. Okay, that makes sense. All right, well, I love that. Um, and I, I love... I, 
you know, honestly, that's sort of the trajectory, I think, of women in ADHD, which was it sort of started out as this podcast. Um, and it was a selfish endeavor, really, to just sort of you know, hear other women's stories and, and to find out if other women were having the same experience as me. But then it sort of morphed really into uh, learning about what this looks like and the many, you know, the many different ways, because it's so difficult to articulate to other people what ADHD even is when once you've started to connect the dots in your own life. And um, so right now, I feel like it's so much more about finding the community and finding each other and building a community because, you know, knowing that we're not alone and knowing that we're, we're not quote unquote broken and that, you know, there are so many other people like us who have very similar experiences is part of the treatment as far as I'm concerned. Like, you know, just really knowing that we are not alone and, you know, whether that's not alone as mothers who are struggling and the things that we're struggling with, um, or as just as partners, as women, or as entrepreneurs, business owners. I mean, I feel like it's just, it's so important to find each other. And so that now is kind of morphing into the next phase, which I think will probably be more event, you know, bringing people together in events. So um, I love listening to the kind of trajectory of your career starting out as a mom with a blog, (laughs) because that's like such an ADHD story, right? Where you're just sort of like, oh, and by the way, I love that I was on your website where you're like, oh, I should probably mention I have a law degree. (laughs) You're just sort of like all of the different, like all of the different certifications and and degrees and everything that we pile up over the years where you're like, oh yeah, I I did that for a while. And now I'm doing this. Oh yes, I was a teacher. (laughs) Do you know what? It's such a typical ADHD thing is you know there's all these people who think ADHD ADHD can't do anything they can't achieve anything and I'm like the opposite the absolute opposite ADHD people with ADHD are prone to achieve way more because they just don't stop and they're like oh I'll do this now and I'll do that now and I'll do this now and sometimes when I tell people about my career they go how can you possibly have done all that because you're I'm 43 now and they go how have you managed to fit all that in and I have no idea I just do this and then I do that and you know and um and yeah, I, it's just uh, it's just a typical ADHD story, I think. And I actually, I truly believe people with ADHD are more likely to be successful because they have all the things that make someone successful. You know, they're very competitive and um, really, um, what's the word? They really want to achieve and do well. And Insatiable, yeah. Yeah, and then at the same time, they're very intuitive, I think. People with ADHD tend to have a really good intuition of other people's feelings, so they're able to read people quite well. And on top of that, they you know they have the ability to hyper-focus on something they're interested in whilst also being able to really sort of go, I want to get this done and, and plowing straight into something. Um, and and they're so ambitious, and you mix all of that together, and you're literally destined to have someone who's successful as long as they get support. And I think I'm very lucky because I have a very supportive mom who always built me up and always believed I could achieve anything. And I think as long as um, when you know, right back when they're kids, they get have that support and that someone building them up you know or or even later in life at some point somebody has to be behind them and say you know you can do it and and as long as they have that faith in themselves to be able to do it it's amazing what they can achieve um 
and I really kind of hope that with a lot of um, doing sort of getting the information out there and providing this sort of information to people, we can eventually get to a point where all parents, teachers, everybody who has or works with a child with ADHD has the knowledge and understanding and ability to go, this is an amazing kid. All they need is my support and my um, me being behind them to build them up and, and help them with those challenges so that they then can achieve it. And you end up with these kids who end up going into world leaders and owning massive corporations and huge foundations and charities because, you know, they're just built for that, you know, and, and we thrive so much off success. I, I meet a lot of ADHDers who, have, who really struggle in their jobs as adults and they find it very difficult. And, uh, and I think often with the right support and someone sort of saying to them, you can do it, they can go out, work for themselves, create their own thing and build something that they love and, and just be so successful doing it. Yeah, I certainly fall into that category of of uh, not being able to stick with a job longer than two years for most of my 20s and 30s and wondering what was wrong with me. Um, but, you know, there are, it's true, like there are ways in which if we are not in, if we're not, if we are the, you know, the square peg trying to jam into the round hole, there are ways in which we do feel like failures all the time. And so you could say, well, my ADHD is means you know, I'm a failure um, as opposed to kind of saying, stepping back and being like, you know, why, what systems do you have in place right now that are, are failing you? And I think, yeah, there are so many ways in which we can reframe all of the things in our lives and really kind of lean into what our figure out what our strengths are and lean into them and just go for it. It can, I'm sure it's terrifying in theory, but it really, I think, I think we need it. I think it, I think it feeds us in a way. It's almost like, you know, trying to, um, you know, I feel like there's like a movie character of somebody who was like being forced to be you know, working in the mines, you know, and, and it reminds me of the, the analogy of the, the hunters versus the farmers, right? And that idea of like you can't force yourself to be anything other than you are. Yeah, and we're very absolutely. stubborn. <laughs> when I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one -on -one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womeninadhd.com coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. I do want to ask you a little bit more about your own experience with ADHD, but I had a question that I had written down because I saw that you and your partner 
were had had been speaking about ADHD and demand avoidance. And that was a term I actually hadn't heard. Um, and so I was Googling it and was looking at more. And it, it, I wanted, can you tell me a little bit more about that from like a parent point of view of what demand avoidance is and how that differs from something like oppositional defiance disorder, which is what a lot of kids with ADHD end up getting also sort of comorbidly uh, uh, diagnosed with? Yeah, so demand avoidance, um, so you have demand avoidance and then pathological demand avoidance. I hate that term, pathological, um, but but that's what it's called. Pathological demand avoidance is actually a subtype um, under the autism bracket. However, uh, it's very new. Studies really um, started in the UK only probably four years ago. So it's, it's, it is um, it's very, in the very early stages of research, but there's a lot of research out there about it. And it's only starting to now spread to the, the rest of the world. Now, the, I, my personal belief, and speaking to a lot of PDA experts as well, is that although at the moment it's just categorized as a subtype of autism, I actually think it applies to a lot of people with ADHD and I would be one of those people. So I personally, I'm, I'm not autistic, but I'm definitely demand avoidant. And, um, and I think a lot of kids out there who are diagnosed with ODD in actual fact would probably fit the demand avoidant bracket instead. Mm. Um, or for a lot of them, I actually think they just have ADHD, but the diagnosticians didn't understand enough about ADHD to realize that those um, some of the things they were doing were sort of ADHD characteristics, but uh, but demand avoidance is is exactly what it says on the tin sort of thing. It's um, it's when a child really struggles to take demands, and and a and a, a good example would be if you've got a child who, in their brain, much like if you've got slow processing speeds or anxiety or things, anything going on up there, and you because for whatever reason your brain doesn't have the capacity to be able to deal with more expectations being placed on you now when it becomes a problem for a child where it becomes um, a neurotype and it's something they do all the time um, it means that their brain literally just can't tolerate demands they're not being naughty they're not just it's not a choice they're they just can't cope with demands because their brain doesn't have the capacity to handle them. And so it can be, um, as it, when, when someone's um, demand avoidant, you can offer ask them to do something they actually want to do, but because it was given to them in the form of a demand, they can't do it. So that's how to tell because obviously if, if you ask someone to do something they want to do, usually they, they happily do it. But when someone's um, demand avoidant, they still can't take the demand, even if it's something they want to do. And, and obviously in life, there's times when um, growing up, it's developmentally appropriate to be demand avoidant. You know, your, your toddlers tend to do it anyway. Um, but what you're sort of looking for is it's not one of those, um, those times when it's, it's appropriate for their age. And they're still doing it. And they're doing it even when it's things that they would actually ordinarily like to do. Um, and it fluctuates as well because on, like with any condition or neurotype, you have good days and bad days. So some days they may be able to handle a few demands. Some days they won't be able to handle any. And the difference between, you know, standard demand avoidance and pathological demand avoidance is just the ex extremity of how 
severe it is. So if someone has pathological demand avoidance, they're really going to not be able to take any demand placed on them. And and what you end up with is um, what looks like behaviour, and it's not behaviour, it's not something that's, that's chosen. It could be something like you could say to them, pass me that glass that's right next to them at the time. You think that's a perfectly reasonable request because the glass is right there, but they can't do it. And they end up having a meltdown rather than pass the glass because in their mind, in that type, they haven't, in that moment, they have no capacity to process that demand. And so it's such a challenge for their brain to go, hang on, I need to do, I need to pick up this glass. I need to, it's that whole thing just sends them into very extreme anxiety and they can end up in a meltdown so it's um and demand avoidance I think there's a lot of ADHDs who have a a degree of demand avoidance I know I do I really struggle with I can take demands but if someone asks in the wrong way and this is a very demand avoidant thing if someone asks in a not necessarily a nice way but sort of starts demanding and you know, and and asking in a very, um, I don't know, sharp or harsh or not such a sweet and polite way, I really struggle to take those demands. And so um, I kind of think I have an element of demand avoidance. Uh, Yeah, I'm fascinated with the sort of comparison of the two, because I always felt like when I think back about to my childhood, I probably would have been diagnosed with ODD if they knew that that existed. Because I realize now that like I was, I had a really hard time with transitions. And so I would often kind of have outbursts, especially in the classroom when the teacher was like, now we're going to stop coloring and move on to the, you know, I was the kid who would, who would have, you know, get flipped into a rage if I had to stop something before it was done. And I was also the one, you know, and I've seen like so many ADHD memes about that. You know, it's like, I was going to do something, but then you told me to do it. And now I'm absolutely not doing that thing <laughs> because you told me to do it. I'm like, yeah, that rings true for, for me as well. Um, and like you said, like, it's it's almost in sort of the tone or if there's some way in which you're feeling condescended to. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting um, how that plays in with our, um, with ours, you know, it's like, it's, it's an attention issue, but it's also um, a hyper, you know, a hyper-focus transition issue and then it's also kind of a, almost like a sensory issue in terms of the um the feedback that you know you're getting when you don't want it absolutely the adhd brain is so complex and and one of the things when i do i do a lot of public speaking over here and one of the things i always say is you know adhd is so much more complex than what many people understand including a lot of the physicians who are diagnosing it and and when you look at demand avoidance, uh, even though, you know, at the moment it is purely um, researched as a subtype of autism, 100%, I'm absolutely convinced that give it another five or 10 years and they'll start realizing that a lot of ADHDers also struggle with demand avoidance because I think more ADHDers struggle with that than what don't. Um, and I know I'm definitely one of them. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's It's very hard and it's, And it's not conscious, it's not, we don't purposely go, I'm not going to do that thing. But something in our brain goes, nope, 
<laughs> you know, no, nope, you just asked me in the wrong way. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know why that is, but yeah, it's, there's something there that just, just cuts it off if it's asked wrong. <laughs> right. And, and we wonder why we feel like our brain, you know, I, I posted recently about how like people with ADHD talk about their brains, like in the third person, as though it's this, the, you know, <laughs> this awful roommate that we live with. That's so unpredictable. And we never know if they're going to, it's going to pay the rent. And sometimes it plays loud music when you're trying to sleep. <laughs> Like, but you know, we, we have a tendency to like separate ourselves from our own brains because it's so unpredictable, you know, and that, that, that sense of like, I don't know, this worked for me last time. It's not working this time. Or like, I woke up this morning feeling like I was going to accomplish things. And then my brain had other plans. Yeah. And you know, so one of the things I would say to parents, and actually I, I did a uh, professional development in a school last week and I asked all it was 150 teachers and I said to them put your hand up if you believe that consistency is key to helping kids with ADHD and they all except for two of them put their hands up and were like you know really proud of themselves because they'd all agreed and I and I sort of said the whole myth of being consistent is is, is so false when it comes to ADHD because even neurotypical people, nobody, everyone has good days and bad days. But for an ADHDer, some days they'll be able to do this, this, and this because their brains, you know, really switched on that day and and working that little bit better. But another day they might have had not enough sleep, they might be hungry, they might be tired, they might be thirsty, um, they might have anxiety because something might have happened to them the night before, whatever, and they just can't achieve the things that they could achieve on a different day and they can't take the demands they could take on a different day. And, you know, they might be more easily pushed into a meltdown than they would the day before. And so with those kids, we can't be consistent. We have to be prepared to be flexible based on their level of need on a particular day because, you know, it actually doesn't matter if you're ADHD or not. Every brain has good days and bad days. But for an ADHD, I know for myself, on a good day, I can, I'm really focused and I can do really well. And on a bad day, like yesterday, I couldn't focus on anything. My, I was all over the place yesterday. And so um, I just think it's really interesting that so many people think consistency is so important, but actually we need flexibility more. Absolutely. I mean, it's drilled into us from the moment we start school and just even the even the grading system and this idea that like the best students are the ones who get straight A's is such a fallacy because it's like, again, you know, why on earth would you expect somebody to be good in every single subject? Um, yeah. And they're just playing the game, right? And, you know, a typical ADHD report card has five A's and five D's, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and that's fine. You know, that's the other thing. Like, I feel like this, I, this, but when, when that's your report card, your teachers say things to you, like you're, you know, more consistency is needed and, you know, you need to bring your grades up in these other subjects. And I was like, why would I, why would I want to bring my grade up in that subject when I'm focusing on this other subject I love? That's another soapbox. Well, yeah, we don't all, to, all end up with 12 careers. We end up with one. So why we need to do so well in every single topic when we're clearly not going to end up working in every single topic, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, so I want to ask you more about um, the, um, sorry, the Peak Center, but I, 
I guess the one question I ask all of my guests is if you could rename ADHD to something else, because the, the, that acronym is so problematic. And, and we don't, you know, like you said, we don't have a deficit of anything. Uh, <laughs> and the term disorder, I think, can be really misleading. And also the hyperactivity element can be so misleading for women. I certainly you know, did not think I had ADHD because I didn't identify as somebody who was hyperactive. And so it was, that was a real barrier for me. So I'm curious if you, if you could name it something else, do you have an idea of what you might name it? Yes. So, yes. So I have lots of problems with the name aside from the fact, I don't think a single word in it is applicable or correct. Um, and I also have a problem with the fact that it's named after its apparent symptoms, which aren't even correct, but it's not, you know, we don't, call um dyslexia reading and writing disorder you know why i don't feel like why is it named after characteristics nothing else is um but um if i could rename it there's a word called there's a word in latin which is animosa and animosa in latin means spirited and so if i could rename it i would rename it animosa because i think it's a nice word it do, it's not a list of symptoms and um and it and it actually means something that's relevant because i've never met an adhd person who in one form or another isn't spirited i love that ah oh, that's so wonderful i got like i got uh, shivers from the goosebumps from that just thinking about like um you know, because I feel like animosa also has this sense of like soul, you know, like there's a sense of like your essence um, that is so, oh, what a lovely word. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love that. Let's go for it. Let's I'll, we'll, I'll start rallying for that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll start rallying over this side of the pond in Australia. <laughs> See if we can. I just, I'm, I've heard so many um options but most options are just other lists of symptoms and because ADHD has so many characteristics you couldn't possibly cover them all and because you can't cover them all any list of symptoms or characteristics creates problems because people automatically will confine it to that and not think of anything outside of that and so when I it was actually years ago I, I always talk about how much I hate the name and then many years ago someone said to me well what would you call it and I said actually I don't know <laughs> and they said well don't you think if you're saying how much you hate the name you should think of an, a different option and and I created and, and I spent a long time thinking about that and I and I first thought right it's got to be a word it can't be a list of characteristics it's got to be a word and it's got to be a relevant word and I didn't want it to be an English word because I thought well you know it needs to be something that's special because I I think people with ADHD are, are just awesome unique individuals and I wanted to have a word that was equally awesome and equally unique so um eventually that's what I came up with but I really yeah I think it's really appropriate for ADHD is absolutely oh I love it okay you came prepared okay <laughs> um so now how can people find you and work with you I know you have a ton of um you know you've done so much sp uh, public speaking so I know even just putting your name into YouTube search bar comes up with so many wonderful um, presentations you've given and but how can people find more of you and your partner and and um, work with you or or come to some of your upcoming events yeah so um we 
at the moment we run all the ADHD events pretty much in Australia and I'm at most of them. So any if, if anyone's in Australia, that I'm pretty easy to find. Um, in uh, the US next year, we're actually, we're doing a world tour which starts next year um, of the ADHD and demand avoidance tour actually. So if anybody wants to know more about ADHD and demand avoidance, and we talk a lot about, it's a whole day and we do a lot of, we really go in depth with strategies and information and that will be in four places in America next year. I know I know it's New York and LA and I can't remember where the other two places are off the top of my head, but we'll definitely be visiting New York, LA and a couple of other places in, in the States. Um, and then the rest of the world will be doing the year after. So I'm really excited to do that. Um, if people want to email me, um, our email address is uh, admin at myspiritedchild.com. So that's um, pretty easy to get hold of and and I'm always happy to sort of answer questions. And our website is just myspiritedchild.com. Um, and there's loads of hopefully useful, interesting stuff on there and resources and that sort of thing. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's so exciting. I will definitely look out for it. I'm in New York, so um, hopefully uh, we'll be much more mobile next year. Uh, I've become such yeah. a hermit the last two years of lockdown. It's like, uh, um, but yeah, I'm so excited to be able to go to live events again. And um, absolutely. Uh, so I, I can I get on a newsletter and sign up through your, yeah, uh, through your website to get on a newsletter to find out what the dates are and everything? Yeah, so the newsletter's on the front page. You can on the front page. You scroll down a bit, and it says subscribe to the newsletter. And um, and in the newsletter, we um, we do have lots of really good information and strategies and and deals and all sorts that go out on that. But we also let everyone know every time there's new events coming up and and things. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely be in New York. So I really hope to see you. You can come along and and find out more about demand avoidance um but it's going to be really exciting i'm so i've never been to america so i'm really excited to um get started with that and get to see some places that i've not been to and meet lots of people uh you know i that's my favorite part of my job is meeting people so i'm looking forward to doing that that's yeah oh that's so wonderful it's amazing and um yeah, very inspiring too, I guess, as I kind of look ahead as to what I want to, where I want to expand with women in ADHD as, and, you know, having more of these opportunities to kind of advocate and spread awareness and bring community together. So that's so wonderful. Thank you. I'm so pleased to have met you and um, really thank you for your time. And thank you so much for all the amazing work you're doing in Australia and, and internationally as well. Oh, thank you for having me. It was really nice speaking to you today. I'm, um, I've really enjoyed chatting to someone over, you know, in a different country. And it's night time where you are and morning here. And yeah, it's really great. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. 
And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com slash coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.